Action Park Media. Hi, I'm Ethan Suplee. Welcome to American Glut. Outside of acting, my two favorite things to do are diet and eat. I have a very complicated relationship with food, and on this podcast, we're going to talk about all of it. Food as entertainment. Food as sport. Food as fuel. I'll talk to experts and the average person, just like you and me. I hate to ask you to do anything, but if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to like, subscribe, rate, review, all of the above on whatever app you're getting it from. It's no secret that one of our favorite guests here on American Glutton is Dr. Mike Isratel. Sometimes see what happens with me as I'm thinking about weight loss a lot. I'm thinking about some of the um, hardships I've had and I get a nagging question and I go, why did I fail when I tried to lose weight just with exercise? And I don't know the exact mechanics of that. I have some suspicions, but then I feel so blessed to be in the position where I can say, Hey, Mike, do you have a minute to explain this to me? And better yet, could you explain it to me and we'll record it and then play that explanation for anybody out there who has the same question. So here we are with Dr. Mike answering my question, why is it not always the best idea to use exercise as your sole means of fat loss? Please enjoy Dr. Mike Isratel, welcome back to the American Glutton Podcast. Ethan, thank you so much for having me. It's always a pleasure to be on. I feel like at some point you're going to start charging me extra or anything for these sessions because they're part like therapy and part like me just stealing knowledge from you. <laughs> you know what, man? I'm, I'm against knowledge theft and you'll be hearing from my lawyers very soon. Okay. Perfect. Um, so I wanted to talk to you. I had a question um, and it was about, you know, and I, I don't get into absolutes where this is the only thing, but I think when we talk, we talk a lot about like averages and, and trying to make a plan that could be universally beneficial for people or, you know, approach that. So we set it up in such a way, or you do, you tend to set it up in such a way where it's like, um, even a vegan can figure out the diet that you, what you talk about nutritionally and go like, I can, I can figure, I can use that data, you know, so it doesn't get dogmatic, um, in, in that way. And I just want to quickly acknowledge my idea on fat loss is that the paramount thing is diet. Is that wrong? That's actually very correct, and, and I'm not going to disappoint you today. I have a mini cornucopia of theoretical framework and facts to get the real question that we're trying to answer today, which is yes. like, what is fat loss exercise, Yes, and how do we contextualize that? I, I got a whole thing for you. Okay, good. Yes, my, what I want to talk about is exercise, and, and I want to preface this by saying I, I've I, as a, when I was very over fat, I have a number of times gone, I have to kill myself every day um, to the point where the rest of the day, I couldn't do anything, basically. Um, no days off, this kind of thing. And then I look at like the people that I admire on social media, and I definitely admire guys like um, 
Cameron Haynes, I mean, Cameron Haynes is a total badass in my book. And, uh, and that, that Navy SEAL who just runs and says, tell your inner bitch to shut up. I'm blanking. Go- Goggins. 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 Yes. Goggins. Um, ba- total badass. But I think if, if you have somebody who, who is trying to lose 50 pounds and then they're going like, well, I have to do that to me. And I, and I, and I say this coming from a place, having done that a number of different ways, never running, but like, even I was one time obsessed with the rowing machine and it was like, I got to get, uh, you know, marathons, literally 49,000 meter sessions on the rowing machine to destroy this fat. None of it seemed to be something that was going to be long-term successful. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to just get your thoughts on this. All right. If you don't mind, I have a bit of a structure here. Feel free to interrupt me at any time, but I kind of want to lay out the structure so that once I do, the folks listening will have like a real holistic understanding of the subject. It'll be a lot of this will make a ton of sense. Perfect. So I have basically like sort of, it's a four part answer, four part answer to the question of what role does exercise play in fat loss slash is there such a thing as exercising in a way that's more conducive to long-term fat loss than let's say long-term muscle gain or athletic performance and so on and so forth, right? That's, that's what we're talking about. That's right. Yes. Super. Okay. So the first realization, okay. Actually, before we get to any of these points, point zero is the following. Food intake can be toggled much more reliably and profoundly than exercise output, than physical activity output. There is this really interesting concept that seems to at least have some deep level of truth in exercise physiology, and it is that after a certain point of daily calorie burning, let's say roughly sort of one and a half times the normal calories you would burn just being normally active, going to work, coming back, playing with your kids, about one and a half times more activity than that, which is to say like a thousand or 1500 calories more than you normally are active, which is a lot, right? North of that, your body, if you push it further, will start to make you very tired and lazy in the rest of your life. So if we say have someone who burns 3000 calories a day, just normally, we can take them and we can sustainably increase their exercise and physical activity to where they burn burn, uh, 4000 calories normally, no problem. And the rest of their life is fine. They feel like they have energy and they're a little more tired, but they still get their work done, everything. As you move from 4000 to 5,000 calories of calorie burning per day, which is kind of nuts, right? 3,000 is your baseline. What ends up happening is while the exercise you're doing to get yourself to 5,000 clearly burns the calories, the rest of your daily routine turns into a desperate struggle for survival in which you are so tired. You sit instead of standing, you lay instead of sitting down, If a buddy calls you and you're talking on the phone for 30 minutes, you're not pacing around your living room or walking around in your garden talking. You're sitting in the most comfortable sofa and you're half asleep and you're barely even conversational because you're not moving your mouth much because you're that tired. What ends up happening on the back end calculations 
is if you plan to burn 4,000 total calories per day, you actually succeed at burning 4,000. If you plan to burn 4,500, you might get on most days to 42 or 4,300. 4,500 every day is going to be real tough and you're going to fall short just because you're going to be so exhausted. If you try to push to 5,000, you may get to 44 to 4,500 and that's about it. So this kind of this like invisible glass wall there, this kind of atmospheric upper limit in which it's much harder to push through than you would think. It's kind of like taking a propeller plane and trying to fly it higher than 20,000 feet. The rare air up there, the air is so thin, you have to double the engine power to get a thousand more feet into the sky. And that by itself is a big problem because it immediately disrupts and disputes the very notion that you can exercise your way to fat loss, right? Because there's this idea that people still have and will continue to have for many years to come that like, look, like, let's be honest, diet control sucks. I don't want to have to think about what I eat. There's two part process to that, that neither one of the parts I like. One, there's an intellectualization that has to occur. I have to learn shit about what goes in my body. I don't want any part of that. Two, it sucks to have to restrict myself. So not only do I have to know shit, I have to tell myself not to do the things I like. Like, it's not just like learning to work on a computer, but it's like, hey, you can't play any video games. You have to use Microsoft Excel and go to work. I don't want to do that shit with my diet. So I'm a fucking brilliant scientist. What I'm going to say is, fuck it. I'm not going to fuck with my diet. I'm just going to increase my activity so much that it doesn't matter what I eat. I'll burn it all off. Well, here's the thing you and I both know from experience that when you eat a diet that's high palatability, plenty of junk food, yo, if your diet's normally 3,000 calories, eating like pretty healthy foods, it's not a problem getting over 5,000 calories a day with junk. I mean, geez, I can do 5,000 calories in a meal with junk if you really push the pace, right? Yes. And the, right? It's not a problem. So at the end of the day, even if you're on the bike, you're on the rower, you're swimming, an unreal amount. It's like 1,000 calories of physical activities. Fucking nuts. Like just, just for folks at home who might not have a reference frame to this, if you weigh about 200 pounds, you are on the elliptical sweating and breathing like <gasps> that for one hour. Right. It's not conversational. Calories. Not conversational. It's devastating. It's brutal. And that's just an extra thousand calories on top of what you normally burn. And remember, we're talking about going from 3,000 to 5,000 a day. That means you got to get another grand of calories somewhere on top of all that. It turns into this thing where you can easily get 5,500, 6,000 calories from eating a shitload of Oreos and just forgetting that Oreos plus milk equals continual food consumption while you're watching TV. And then it, even if you're Lance Armstrong, you still can't lose weight or you keep gaining weight or best case, you lose weight, but it's really unimpressive for the amount of activity you're turning up. Are you with me so far on all that, Ethan? Does that make sense? hundred percent. Yes. It not only makes sense, it it gives me, um, you know, these like Vietnam-esque flashbacks of por <laughs> portions of my life where I was just like banging my head against the wall. I was yep. on a bicycle for eight hours, four days this week and lost one pound. Yeah. I mean, isn't that fucked up? Like, that's insane. Like to even yeah. think that that's like, what am I doing here? And you know what? A lot of people who don't know better, and I'm not saying they're like ignorant or something. They literally just, these are all great, good natured people that just, just don't know any better. And that sucks. A lot of them get permanently or semi-permanently burnt out on the very idea of losing weight because they're like, look, I've, I did four, four days on the bike, eight hours at a time. I still barely lost any weight. I'm pretty sure it's just not in me because whatever it takes for me to lose weight, I don't have it in me. Like, fuck that. Like if someone's like, hey, 
you know, like for a thousand dollars, would you talk to someone real nice for five minutes? You're like, well, yeah, like, okay, for a thousand dollars, would you take like a meat softening hammer to your testicles? You're like, no, (laughs) it's just too hard. I'm sorry. Weight loss is fine. And my doctor says I'm going to die soon. But look, if it means I turn into a professional athlete and ignore my family and friends and just life as hell, she's not going to do it. You know, give me another 15 years of life on this earth. I'll live it out just fine. It'll be great. So, and then it's you have the deal. examples of people who do take the meat, the meat mallet to their testicles, and they're like, "And I didn't get the results I wanted." <laughs> That's right. That's right. You you get cut a check for three hundred dollars. Like we have to take taxes and fees out of it. You're like, "Are you serious?" <laughs> I was promised a thousand up front. So so in in other words, there's this problem that people think they can solve their weight control issue with exercise alone, and because of that diminishing returns problem. There is whatever theoretical amount you thought you could burn, you probably won't. The more and more and more you try to take, the less and less and less it gives back. So there's basically like a gray area, fuzzy line of 500 to 1,000 calories, kind of like a little borderlands above which you're probably just not going to get. And if you get above it for a day or two, it's not sustainable. And we all know sustainability is absolutely the key to fat loss. You got to be able to rock a deficit for you know, eight to 12 weeks, something like that. If a couple days a week, you're really crushing it, it really just doesn't matter if you go backwards. So now that we know that, we can do something about it. And here's the deal. Extra physical activity absolutely helps create a really solid caloric deficit, okay? But it has to be sustainable and not insane. So ultra high physical activity is bad, But ultra low physical activity means if you want to create a caloric deficit, you're going to have to take such a huge chunk of your food out. You're going to be miserable. You're going to be tired. You're going to be hungry. You're going to be low on energy. All the worst possible things. So because we want a robust but sustainable caloric burn, what we're going to do is try to create a moderate to high activity level. I'll get more specifically to what that means in a bit, but that's rule number one. So if you want to exercise for fat loss, Whatever exercise or activity you do has to create a moderate to high level of physical activity, which generally means something like if you're just normally living life, anywhere between technically zero, but let's just be more charitable, anywhere between about 250 to 750 calories burned per day more than you're used to. That's what you're going to slap on. Anything at 1,000 calories or more is probably too much and it's unsustainable for too many people. Does that make sense? So we're just targeting for exercise and activity. We're just targeting somewhere between 250 and 750 calories per day, more than we usually are in our normal state. Sure. And uh, my, my head immediately goes to like 20 minutes to an hour on the elliptical machine at just slightly, maybe pushing it slightly above, like totally relaxed. Totally. And that, in addition to having your normal daily activity and not doing any less than you normally would, is a real good start. It it basically keeps us from the not so good zone of doing so little that our calorie cut would have to be massive in order to actually generate any weight loss. So it's like, I'm going to, I'm going to share something really insane. I feel free to edit it out later. But you know, when I was a kid, I would ask my dad comical things that he got really weird about talks about sex. Like he's a conservative stand upright sort of guy. And I'm like, Hey dad, like I, I, I like when I was 15, I was like, dad, like, is, is it wrong if you like, like, what's the optimal penis size to have? Like, it's like, it's going to be making me like a stud. And he goes, Misha, Misha, it's not a problem unless it is small. <laughs> like that was his big quote. So, so that's kind of what we're looking for 
analogically with the whole uh, calorie thing, like unless you are very inactive, it's not a problem. So just right. be at least moderately active, potentially up to higher level of activities. We want to avoid ultra high because it's not sustainable, but anything from normal activity all the way up to a decent 750 calories extra a day is totally fine. So that's part number one. Here's the real kicker. So part two comes in part is you take your normal caloric intake and you create a deficit. Now, here's the great thing. Let's say we're already doing 500 calories more activity per day than we're used to. On raw numbers, that means we're expecting to lose roughly a pound of fat per week. Now, if we take another 500 calories out of our daily food, let's say we used to eat 3,000 calories a day, now we're eating 2,500. A 500 calorie cut from food, man, it's just not a lot. You know, you just eat a little bit less junk and voila for most people. But for a lot of people who are pretty over fat, standard American, 250 to 300 pounds, just quitting soda and switching to diet soda <laughs> automatically takes care of 500 calories for a huge majority of people. So yeah. it's an easy change, but here's the magic. Because our activity is moderate high, which means we're like, let's say 500 more calories per day burning than we're used to. Now that we took an easy 500 calories out of the calorie intake, uh, of the caloric intake equation, Yo, we're at a thousand calorie day deficit. That mathematically roughly is two pounds of fat per week. Man, we're grooving and moving at that rate, you know? And because we're on the moderate high end, we've guaranteed that we're not too inactive. Because we're controlling our calories, which is a huge, huge, huge must. Can't just eat whatever you want if you want results. All we have to do is take a little bit of a calorie thing away from that. And this is we're 80% of the way there as far as how to manage your physical activity for weight loss. As long as your calories are controlled and you create a slight deficit on that end, and as long as you're at a moderate level, at least of physical activity and sustainable, man, we're talking about a big chunk right away and it didn't take that much effort. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah, that, that, that's, that's perfect. And all of that seems like, um, something that you could, you know, and I, I know you talk about eight to 12 weeks, but I think in terms of years uh, sure. of what we can set up and, and obviously having breaks in there and yes, allowing our system to recuperate from what the, the deprivation, but, um, but I, this is what, this is what just makes sense to me. Like if I'm trying to design my life completely differently rather than, I'm going to have this very short term thing that I yes. don't believe is sustainable and then just expect everything to be better at the end. Yep. And, and the logic here is, is that systems don't work well at extremes, especially sustainably. So if you say to yourself, okay, just real easy theory, basic, no assumptions made is you say, okay, I know caloric balance. It's super easy calories in versus calories out that really kind of leaves me with three potential roads to take that I think are all roughly equivalent. And, and you wouldn't be razzed for thinking this. Path one is I'm not big on physical activity. Exercise sucks. My legs hurt when I walk. I hate it. I'm just going to cut a ton of calories. Calories in, calories out, right? Cut a ton of calories, still a thousand calorie deficit there. Option number two is I cut a little bit of calories and add a little bit of physical activity and it's a thousand calorie deficit. Option number three is I don't cut any calories, but I really just go to town on physical activity. Here's the thing, that middle option's the best because it doesn't push any systems to their extremes and is thus sustainable. Um, 
a, a quick and stupid, albeit stupid analogy is like, how do you design the best military force to encourage the security of your nation? You can design a force with such insane offensive capability that nobody ever fucks with you, but you have no defense at all. Like if they pass your front lines, you're done. You can design a force that has only unreal defense, like your country's a fortress, but you have no offensive capability whatsoever. Most military advisors would say, that's really stupid. You need a force that's got robust defense, robust offense, because that middle ground means that you're covering all of your bases. You're not pushing anything to its limits and you're not lagging anywhere. So I know it's super lame and, oh, your moderation is best, which is not always true. In this case, it really is true because the way the body is designed, most people can handle a small caloric deficit in nutrition just fine. And they can handle a small increase in normal physical activity just fine. And when you talk to these people, and we've literally at RP, we've talked to them, successful people that have kept weight off for a long time and lost a lot of weight, they just kind of say like, yeah, I'm more active than usual. I keep tabs on my diet so I don't go crazy overboard. And it's just like slowly but steadily with no fanfare or flags waved, the weight just keeps coming off and it stays off. And that is really the 80% of the equation to how to manage it. So there's this temptation that you, I'm just going to exercise like crazy. Don't do that. It pushes the system too far. We're saying, fuck exercise. I hate all that stuff. Doesn't matter. Kaiko, calories in, calories out. It's all that matters. I'm just going to starve myself. Well, starvation doesn't last very long because your body and mind will rebel and you'll end up back in the same place. Yeah. So with all that in mind, do you have, uh, optimal types of uh, exercise for that would work for the average Joe? Yes. Okay. So two more points to cover. Okay. Okay. Point number. So we got point number one and point number two, we got points three and four left. Point number four is the optimal types, types of fat loss, physical activity. Gotcha. But before we get there, we got to get to point three. I have a feeling you really like point three. Here's point three. And a lot of people miss this. Tons of people miss this. We are trying I think in most cases to lose fat, to get leaner. We're not trying to get skinny. Yo, full on respect to Kate Moss. She's the model of a generation. You know what I'm saying? I feel like most women don't want to end up looking like that. Like I don't want to, if I'm a female and I show up to a work party, I don't want half the people to ask me, oh my God, Janice, how did you lose that weight? You're a hero. And half the people that are my closer friends to pull me aside and be like, listen, I've dealt with meth addiction before. You're going to be fine. Let me try to help you. (laughs) Like that's not the look we're going after. So the real kicker for point three is if you're really trying to do your best for fat loss and to keep it sustainable and healthy and attractive as much as possible, you're going to want to do regular weight training because the goal is lean. The goal is not skinny. The goal is to retain muscle. Okay. But Mike, this is a, this is a much more profound note and thing to to touch on simply and i simply say this from a personal point of view because when i started i was 550 ish i didn't even have the thought of differentiating fat loss and weight loss for maybe 15 years like it, it never occurred to me my my sole purpose in life when I went on to some very unsustainable diet, um, which all of them, I rapidly put weight back on uh, for the most part. Um, It was just, I want to, I want to, I want to be smaller. I want a smaller number on the scale. Now I am hyper-focused on 
fat loss. That's it. That's my whole game. And I just don't know that everybody has that in mind. Like I'm, I'm over fat. If, if I starve myself, I'm going to lose fat, which, okay, that's true. But what are the other components? There's also water and lean tissue that like, I don't really give a shit if I'm losing those things. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want to lose those things. Right. And what do you get at the end of the two journeys? At the end of one of the journeys of just pure weight loss, I mean, like, you're going to like, no offense, no offense. You're going to, I suppose it's probably in jail, so it's irrelevant, but you're going to look like Jared from Subway, which is to say, like, and that's kind of the ideal of the journey of I don't care about my muscle. Because, I mean, he, he lost all the weight he needed to lose. He was medically at a normal weight, as far as doctors were concerned, at the end of his journey. And, like, you know, this is a guy that, like, at best looks like a normal person in normal clothes at right. very best. And at worst, he goes to the beach and he takes off a shirt and all he's got is like gallons of loose skin. And you're like, Jesus, Ooh, that man's been through some shit, you know, or your compassion and you're going, oh my God, like, Hey, I don't mean to pry, but like super congratulations on your journey. You get that kind of bullshit where you're never going to look your absolute best. And then we take on the other hand, like to check out this comparison, we take, and I know you didn't do everything right from the start, but we, we got you good and fixed up, right? So sure take did. Ethan, take Ethan. <laughs> Gee whiz, thanks, Dad. You got you. We we went through the RP way, and finally, here's what we got for you, Ethan Suplee. You're probably similarly heavy to Jared from Subway. <laughs> Again, a strange comparison, but what do we have for you now? What position are you in? You're fucking jacked. You're the guy with the big ass arms. You're currently shooting a role in which you're like the alpha male, super strong. You know, I don't. I'm gonna give away what you're doing with your current role. It's probably secret, but like, you're the guy in in your roles now. Where like, you're the guy that hurts people. You're the guy that can hurt. You're the superhero or super villain. And I mean, that body gives you a couple of advantages. First is the cosmetic one of people like in clothes or not in clothes. People look at you now and they go, "Damn, that guy's jacked." Like that's really cool. So you get that first of all. Second of all, you get an ability to move around which is categorically a level above somebody who's just skinny and just lost the weight, like in real life or not, you know, getting up and down out of a chair because you squat and you leg press, this is not a problem for you. But folks that are in their forties and fifties, they used to be fat and lost a lot of weight. Now they're just skinny. They're just regular skinny people in their forties and fifties. And they're like, Oh yeah, I'm not in my twenties anymore. I can't just hop, skip around. Like, why not? The fuck is wrong with you? The answer is they don't have any muscle mass. Another one is health. Metabolic health is just better when you have more muscle mass. Muscle mass absorbs glucose that you eat. It is the biggest fighter of diabetes outcomes possible. If you have tons of lean muscle, you it's unbelievably difficult to become anything like diabetic because any amount of sugar you put in your system, your muscles just eat. And they're like, next, what's next? What you got for us? The bloodstream right. stays low glycemic. Everything is good. We have, and, and then you know, even a functionality in a situation where it's just like unpleasant, you know, like if you're um, at a gas station at night and you get out of your truck and some crazy guy's coming up to you to try to get something out of you. If you're Jared from Subway, I don't know, like if I'm a psycho at a gas station, I feel like I have a pretty good chance to get your wallet out of your hands. If Ethan Suplee circa 2021 steps out, I'm just turning right the fuck back around. Well, maybe I'll come up to you and be like, hey, man, weren't you that guy from Remember the Titans? I loved your work. <laughs> but like, I'm not going to do shit to you because you weigh like 290 and you're jacked. Like you have bicep veins at 290. It's just not a trick anyone can pull off. So at the end of the day, the process 
is not, we don't want to get to skinny. Now look, value judging, if someone just wants to be skinny, God bless them, we can get them there. But for most people who just don't know what it is at the end of the tunnel they're chasing, you and I kind of pull them aside and go, trust me, you want some muscle at the end of this journey. It's going to make everything better. Yeah. And, and for me, I like, I don't need, I don't need everybody to look like me. I I probably have more muscle than is necessary. In fact, I'm sure I do, but I I just know that, (laughs) yeah, I know that when I started losing weight, I didn't have any idea that there was like a, a way to retain muscle. I thought it was just weight loss. Right. And so I, I would just pose this question to anybody who is venturing down that path or thinking about venturing down that path you basically have uh two three things you can lose excess water which is fine you reduce your salt you'll lose that um uh cut some carbs you'll lose that and and really the the primary things are lean tissue and fat and and if i was given that choice like do you want to lose lean tissue and fat or just fat, I would have said just fat. I just want to lose fat. Um, So I don't know that it's really even a choice that's in people's minds. No, almost never. But we want to make sure they're aware of that choice. So they pick the thing that sounds the coolest to them. Another quick thing, and I I didn't make too fine a point about this earlier. I'd like to make sure, make myself really clear. At the end of your journey, if you started really over fat, and I mean that in the most charitable way possible. Some of us find ourselves in some positions and, you know, like I'm five foot six and I've been as heavy intentionally, but stupidly, I've gone as heavy as a really fat 270 before. And I have like permanent stretch marks and loose skin and stuff I really didn't want. So if you're in a journey from when you were very over fat to much smaller, you can end up in kind of one of a spectrum, but one of two extremes on that spectrum. One is you can end up being a person who just isn't fat anymore. And as long as you're in clothes, people just treat you like a normal person. You don't get any special attention. You just, they just don't know any better. Or because you've started out so heavy, you actually have the potential to be quite muscular. And then at the end of that journey, you could literally be a person who isn't just neutral. They're, you're the person people are asking fitness advice of and revering as in a really good shape. Because if you're extra muscular, people are like, oh my God, like, it's amazing. How old are you? 45? That's crazy. What do you do? I want to know. And I, I honestly, and this sounds super lame, take it for what it is. If you've been very fat before for long, there's, for most people, unless you genetically just have unreal psychology, most people have a dark, deep, bleeding hole of self-hate, of other people hating them, bullying memories, you can get that hole to no longer open up as much if you lose weight and just become a regular, which is totally fine, but it's never going to get filled in. It's always going to be there because it's not poked at anymore. It's there, but it's a fucking scar. It's a nasty scar. On the other hand, if you choose the route of preserving your lean muscle and even expanding it as you lose weight by lifting weights and not just focusing on cardioing the weight off after multiple years, when you're back down to a lower weight, now that you're jacked, people slowly but surely give you the kind of input you've never felt in your soul a single fucking time in your former life, same life, I guess, in your, in your earlier years of people telling you, Hey, 
I wish I was in shape like you. Or you're in, an, you're in an airplane loading up your luggage into the top compartment. Someone looks and they're like, hey, can you help me with that? You look like you really can lift a lot. That kind of compliment in your physique, compliment in your physical fitness, compliment to you is something that at first for people that used to be over fat for a long time really throws them off a lot of times. They're like, oh, whoa, whoa. Some, and then they go through a denial phase. And they're like, no, 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 I'm not in shape. Like other people are in shape. Like just to call you out very, very sort of uh, comedically, Ethan, you know, like you try to tell Jared and I that you're not really muscular because no, you guys are muscular. And we're like, no, 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 you are actually muscular, right? So there's a little denial phase. But slowly, no. I will debate this in a sec, slowly but surely, slowly but surely, those compliments and those self-realizations of like, oh my God, I actually am kind of a little mini paragon of fitness, they fill that deep, dark hole, at least to some extent. And then you can recover from some of that psychological trauma by not just going back to neutral but going to good. A quick analogy to that, that I don't know if it exists in the real world, certainly is not my experience. Imagine being like a bullied nerd in high school and you're middle school and you just have a shitty middle school. Everyone makes fun of you. You're not getting laid at all. Nothing. Girls laugh at you. Guys laugh at you. And then your high school experience is just normal. Like you grow up and you're not a weird nerd anymore. And people, you have normal, normal high school experience. You still have some trauma there from middle school that's going to follow you around, right? You'll eventually grow out of it, but it sucks. That's the example by analogy of going from being super over fat to just looking normal again, normal-ish, right? Jared from Subway. The alternative by getting jacked while you're losing the fat is you don't go from middle school nerd who gets made fun of just to a normal guy who's kind of invisible. You know, a lot of people who get made fun of in middle school, they thank God every day they're finally invisible. <laughs> you know, in high school, thank God no one's making fun of me. You can do better. You can turn in to one of the popular kids. Imagine that. Imagine your middle school is total shit. And then high school, people are like, your girls are asking for your number. And guys want to hang out with you. And you're like, wait a minute, this is crazy. If you deal with it well, by the time you get to college, someone can ask you the question of like, hey, like, how were your teen years? Was it traumatizing? Was it amazing? And you can honestly look them in the eye and say, I feel damn good about the whole thing. Instead of like, well, middle school sucked, but then high school was normal. You know what I mean? So it, it, for, and I'll say this with as little sort of emoting and, and superlatives as I can, for all of the shit that overfat people have to go through psychologically when they're overfat. At the end of that journey, when they become non-overfat, at the very least, they could get a real good end of the deal. Does that make sense? A hundred percent. Yeah, no. And I have anecdotal things to to add to that. First, please. I just want to say, Doctor Mike, I'm two sixty five today. I'm not two ninety. So let's not. I'm sorry not for give how me, small you I'm, are. <laughs> I'm not as jacked as you're claiming. Um, but I I I want to point out. And, I, and I've tried to point this out, and I have pointed this out to a number of people. I went down to 215 in, in the manner that we've been talking about, just weight loss. Let me get it Jared off. from school. Subway. That's right. And I was miserable. And my clean bulk that I did then brought me up to 400 pounds. So, right, I, clean was in quotes. Um, so I've, I've had a lot of interactions with people and, and I, in real life and on social media. And, uh, you know, I get thousands of direct messages and every now and again, I open that and I just answer the first few. I can't, I can't get to all of them, but sure. he, the, the, 
the two um, biggest things are the, the number one thing is like, how did you start? What's, what did you do? Right. That's very yeah. generally what I'm asked quite important, very important questions. Totally. The second thing is almost uh, entirely, I've lost a bunch of weight. Now I want to put on muscle. How did you do that? And, and I don't want to say, well, I gained 170 pounds <laughs> or no, even more than that, 180 pounds. And I've actually just been cutting since then. Right. Yeah. And this is kind of what I've ended up with. Um, and really the first 70 ish pounds that I lost, I was losing, losing lean tissue too. So I didn't get oh, yeah. super scientific until like the last 70 pounds. Yeah. Um, and, and so even with like some of my wife's friends who, who, you know, did a diet that I even talked to them and said, this is a, this is a very extremely low calorie diet. You're, you're, you know, is this sustainable? How are you going to do maintenance periods? Like, I really want you to be super successful long-term with this. And have you considered these factors at all? The ones who lost a ton of weight one for one came to me and said, now I want to put on muscle. And I'm kind of like, well, you know, you could have just had the muscle. Yes. The muscle was there and you lost a, a portion of it. And now I don't, I, you know, and for me, I've done one uh, massing quote unquote bulk with Jared and it fucked me up um, psychologically. It was really, really hard on me. Um, and I don't know if I do that again, or if I just do maintenance and cutting, you know, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if, if a person who was morbidly obese is going to have the mental wherewithal to yeah. deal with weight gain. It's, it's really, yeah. really tough. So for full transparency, Ethan, Jared is 100% going to push you into more massing phases later I know. For, for two reasons. One, we, you want to get more jacked and we want you to be more jacked. And two, it is a painful, torturous type of therapy for you. Because if your dumb ass can fucking put on a few more pounds of muscle massing every now and again, and really just come to grips with the scale moving up and telling yourself hyperventilating and be like, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. After a few cycles of that, you will literally be psychologically more healed than you were before. It'll be a great thing. That being said, if you can gain a lot of muscle when you're already heavy, and gain it and not lose it when you're getting lean, the amount of that painful therapy you have to do later is lower because you'll have gained more muscle in the easy times where you could have just been doing it otherwise. Right. So and I hear your point a thousand percent of like, look, like you're like full transparency, you're a real psychologically strong guy. A lot of people, we're not all built the same. Some people don't have that kind of willpower. And if they do lose the weight, the not so great way, you're right. No, they won't do a massing phase. They won't ever do a bulk and they won't ever put on as much muscle as they could precisely because they sort of missed that big opportunity of putting on plenty of it when they were still heavy and keeping it slash putting on even more on their way down. So not to put too fine a point on it, but point number three is you got to include resistance training, not because it burns a ton of calories. It doesn't but because it builds and retains muscle that in 50 different ways for your health, for your performance, 
for your appearance and for your soul are just going to be downright good for you. And another really quick one that I don't want to miss, another quick benefit, which is quick to say, but very profound is at the end of your weight loss journey, when you're at that more sort of quote unquote normal healthy weight, which is a huge range, by the way. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. You can have one of two things. You can be Subway Jared and you're going to have to eat little bird-sized dickhole portions of food for the rest of your life <laughs> in order to not like blow up to a giant animal again. Or if you go the lifting route, you can eat a lot of food and simply not gain weight because you're already heavier, but it's muscle, which means you're heavier, but healthier, or at least as healthy as you would have been lighter. And because look, we all love food. You can just eat more of it. Like right now I'm on an active rest phase because I'm not training with weights. My appetite is down. Ethan, I'm out here in Orlando, Florida right now recording this for you. Tons of great food everywhere. I don't even want to eat the amount of food it takes to keep me at 240 pounds. I'm stuffing myself. It's awful. What a great problem to have because all this muscle in my body just needs to eat all the goddamn time. And it's a great thing to be able to come down at the end of all of the fat loss dieting come down from, let's say, 400 pounds to 200 pounds. And at 200 pounds, someone asks you, like, oh, you're pretty hungry all the time, I bet, huh? And you're like, actually, no. <laughs> if I was a 150 with no muscle, be starving all the time because I'm at 200, I'm lifting weights. I don't know, man. It kind of takes a lot of food to feed the machine and for me to prevent further weight loss. And I really like the lifestyle that I'm living because I don't have to starve myself. A lot of people will say, like, okay, I'm starting this new fat loss thing on 400 pounds. I'm stopping ice cream and cookies and I'm stopping eating lots of food. And, and then you ask them like, when do you think you'll be able to do that again? And they'll say, well, look, if, if I'm going to come down to 150 pounds, I'll never be able to eat ice cream again. And I go, really, is that really a world you want to live in? And the thing is, if that's what it takes to be lean, so be it, but it doesn't, you can train with weights and you can be in a position where you're eating plenty of food and every now and again having an ice cream cone or two and there's not a single dent because your body is a giant muscular fat burning furnace for lack of a better term. Yeah. Yeah. Um, side note on ice cream, my wife uh, sent a kid out to get enlightened the other night and they came back and they had a couple pints of enlightened and and were very happy with themselves until they found out that they had gotten the keto variety. Yes, I knew which, that's what you were going to say. What a God disaster. Because they could have just eaten regular ice cream for the calories they were getting with less Dude, fat in it. What's funny is that um, I actually know, Nick and I know personally, the founders of Enlightened Ice Cream. And they're super, if you ever want an intro, please, please let us know. Um, they're super, super awesome guys. And their core product of enlightened ice cream is unbelievable. Like for anyone, it's that incredible. Know, it incredible. tastes amazing. Like for diet food, it tastes like sex is being had in your mouth. Yeah. There's a bunch of different flavors. They're all good. And it's not just like, it's rich, it's creamy, it's thick, it's heavy. You can throw enlightened a pint at a motherfucker's head and knock him out. It's like <laughs> some serious meat, but it's literally a half to a third of the calories as Ben and Jerry's like it, it couldn't make the shit up. No, they, I think it's more mm -hmm. than that. I think it's a quarter. I did a comparison. Some of the flavors are a quarter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Ben and Jerry's like 1600 calories a pint and enlightens around four for their like most decadent flavor. Damn dude. I guess I am comparing wrong. Cause I thought Ben and Jerry's was a thousand a pint, but I must not be eating the right flavors of Ben and Jerry's. I, I don't, I don't remember what the flavor was, but I was just 1600. Like, this is Holy shit. So in any case, enlightened 
okay, I'm not going to say unfortunately, because it's their business model and they're super successful. And look, supply and demand, right? Supply and demand, you and I are both like sort of free market guys. People get what they want. A lot of people like keto and they made actually a very excellent, very tasty keto ice cream. The thing is, because it's keto and they have to bomb the fat in and they have to take carbs out and it still has to taste good, it's not as low calorie. So it is a bit of like to us that do the macros thing, you and I and other people, it is a bit of a disappointment. Like I used to go to the store in Las Vegas and every now and again, I would forget that they don't have the real enlightened there. And they would see the enlightened. I was like, oh my God, enlightened, honey. I'd poke my wife and we'd look over and it'd be like, keto. And we're like, no, it's like this huge disappointment. I can't say enough about it. Yeah, it, it was, uh, it was really, and, and, you know, I guess if somebody's doing keto and they need to stay in ketosis, then that could keep them in ketosis. But if you're, if, especially if you're not doing that and you just are eating this diet ice cream utterly pointlessly, because it's the same, the macro, uh, you know, I mean, the calories are about the same. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's, no, it's not really clear to me if you're doing the macros approach, what you get out of it. But in any case, if you want to have all those good things, if you want to have the muscle and all the performance and health and being able to eat food and be sort of a much more normal human being after you've come down in body fat, it's critical to keep lifting weights. And so we don't want to get lost in the weeds of saying, okay, I want to exercise. How much exercise should I do to burn calories? It's not all about burning calories. So before you even consider any kind of exercise outside of regular physical activity, plug in two to four, preferably more like four, weight training sessions every week for 30 to minutes to an hour every time. And you're doing something that under the hood is changing you in a profound way. It's not going to reflect itself on the scale. But when you get to that 200 pounds you're shooting for, or 250 you're shooting for, or 280 you're shooting for, you're going to look and feel and behave and experience life in a qualitatively way better way than you would have otherwise. Weight training on your way down during a fat loss diet is almost the ultimate example of a delayed gratification investment. Because look, you can lose weight real fast, three pounds a week if you do crap load of cardio. And if you do weights properly, maybe you only use two or two and a half pounds a week. But it's at the end of the tunnel. One of those leads to really good things. One of them leads to amazing, super awesome things. And you can start now to make that super awesome happen. Yeah, that that I think that's the that was like the crux of my question. Um, seeing some guys on social media who who were losing a bunch of weight. Um, and, and, you know, I, I, it, this could be the perception of me too, because the majority of the pictures I post on social media, I'm in the gym. So that could lead someone to think like, that's all this motherfucker does is go to the gym right. when the, the reality is I am really, really lazy. Like I've had long talks with Jared that I'm totally convinced, uh, whatever neat, you know, non-exercise, um, active thermogenesis. That's right. Mm -hmm. Activity thermogenesis, yes. Activity thermogenesis. Like, and that's just like the way you burn calories throughout the day. I believe mine is broken. I believe that <laughs> for eons or, you know, the majority of my life and, and uh, my development, I just was like, it was so hard to move around that I promised, I, I practiced stillness. I practiced like the most efficient 
you know, could I get from point A to point B with the least number of steps or the shortest route, avoiding yeah. stairs, like all of this. And and I think that's still within me. So I'm just like, dude, we need to go less calories. And and he's like, shut the fuck up. This is why I'm programming you. We're not listening to your bullshit, you know, and, and it's good um, that he talks me out of that. But so like when I would get a bug up my ass years ago of like, it's time to do it again, it would be like, I've got to destroy myself. And so I yeah. see, I see this time and again, and I, and I just go like, I hope that guy's successful. I'm rooting for everybody to be successful in, in what they're doing to this is not what I want to promote because I failed so many times trying yeah. to do this. Yeah, 100%. And you want the best for everyone. And it's kind of a little bit, maybe a lot sad to see people going down a path that you don't know everything about their position because it's all social media. But you're like, oh, I sure hope you're not trying to just exercise this weight off. I hope you're lifting weights and I hope you're controlling your diet. But, you know, in any case, if folks are really interested, if they listen to this podcast, they sort of have all the bigger pieces. Now, here's the thing, Ethan. Last... And not least, but definitely last, okay. is the actual question you originally asked me and had me on to answer, yes. which is what activities, what ways of burning calories are the best for fat loss for long term? And just to make this super clear, the way that folks, I, I don't, this sounds like I'm waving my own flag, whatever, fine. So I am, right? I'm an e egotistical mess. Here we go. The way that experts tend to conceptualize issues is from the ground up. The difference between an expert and a dilettante or someone who just knows a few things is an expert can see the whole tree from root to branch all the way to the leaves. Whereas the person who just knows a few things has picked a couple beautiful flowers from the tree and they're like, look, I have these flowers. So you could say like, hey, how do I get flowers in, in my garden? The person who doesn't know much would be like, just pick the flowers, right? And whatever trees grow the best with the flowers, just pick those and it'll be really nice. That's not a good answer. The question is, how do I get flowers is best answered by, okay, how do I plant the tree? How does a tree grow? How much structure do I need underground to accommodate its roots? How long does it take for the trunk to expand? If you know all those things, you can manage an orchard which produces two tons of flowers per year and you really want on that uh, grounds. So someone could ask, you know, you and I are what, like 40 minutes into this podcast, and we're just starting to answer the proximate question that we're supposed to answer the whole time, which is, what is the deal with how do I how do I exercise for fat loss? Because we set up this framework, we're really kind of teaching people how to fish instead of giving them the fish by analogy. Because we first of all talked about the get out of this mindset that you can exercise your way into fat loss to begin with. All you can do is set a moderate to high level of expenditure. That's it. We set up the idea that you got to control your calories. There's no free lunch on that regard, right? By analogy and hilariously in real life as well. So, and then number three, we said, hey, by the way, you got to lift weights. Now that someone knows all these things, the previous question that they were asking of what kind of exercise you need to do for fat loss Ethan, can you get the sense from this conversation that that question is already a little bit of a moot point? It's kind of like, well, we already know there's fat loss doesn't even really come from exercise as much as it does from just slightly enhanced physical activity and more diet and, and weightlifting. 
already this problem that we thought was this 100% of the problem was what kind of exercise do we need to do to lose fat, we already realized that's actually just 20% of the problem. That, that, am I just ranting to nowhere? Or does that make no, sense? No, it, it, makes, it makes perfect sense to me. And, and, and it, it answers my question and it, and it kind of is an explanation to not only what I've been doing, but the, the just kind of like more definition in, oh, this is why we do this this way. This is why I'm shifting my mindset towards other yes. things. Yes, because that's the big revelation. When you really understand how a system works, you can on the fly adjust and create your own proper solutions. But if you don't understand how a system works, then you kind of got nothing going for yourself if you get remotely knocked off course or if something's not perfect. So to make sure we do actually answer the question, point number four is choosing activity modalities for fat loss. So we remember we said moderate to high level of physical activity, which means like, oh, I don't know, roughly 500 more calories than you'd burn on a typical day. If we're going for that, what do we actually put into that 500 calories? How do we get that 500 calories of burn? I have a bit of a checklist for folks listening. I'll rant it off really quick and then we can come back around to the various things if, if you want to ask some follow-up questions. So first, it should be as fun and convenient as possible. Why? Because adherence is king, adherence is king, adherence is king. Adherence is king. So if an wait, exercise- Wait, what's king, Mike? <laughs> I, I forgot. What was I saying? Oh, is it adherence? I think it was. A, so here's the thing. <laughs> if an exercise is miserable, and or you have to go way the fuck out of your way to do it, it's a, it's a non-starter, dead on arrival. Uh, give you an example. Let's say that you were still doing the cycling stuff you used to do a whole lot, but let's change the dynamic to where you lived somewhere far away from where you live now, and you didn't actually like the act of cycling. And you would just meet some Hollywood buddies and they were like in the, the hills somewhere in the Malibu area and they had some really great cycling tracks. So they would do road cycling. You'd have to pack up your car, your stupid fucking bike that you hated. You'd have to drive 45 minutes of stupid California traffic to get all the way to the Malibu area, unpack your bike, put on your dumbass helmet you fucking hate, pedal that dumbass bike around. All your friends are like, oh, what's a great day to be out on the bike. And you're like, I fucking hate the stupid goddamn sun. I hate the stupid bike. How are you really going to continue to do that in the real world? There's no way it's going to happen. So number one, it should be now real quick. Of course, exercise is inherently inconvenient. Nobody really wants to do it. And it's, how much fun is exercise really like things that are fun in this world, like smoking cigars, having, you know, crazy sexual experiences in a dance club. And that's just about it. Right. So <laughs> just kidding. There's tons more fun to life. But as far as the buffets, that's, that's buffets top, top are food. also fun, Mike. Buffets. buffets are incredible. So ideally, you're in a dance club buffet combination with free cigars. And yes. you're totally good to go. That, just Vegas. That sounds, that just sounds Vegas. awful. I just re, I recapitulated Vegas for some reason. I'm like still recovering from living in Vegas. This is like me ejecting the gunk from my brain. So, but in any case, exercise should be as fun and convenient as possible slash reasonable. So like if you have a Planet Fitness by your house and you like to put in your headphones and do the elliptical and it's five minutes away, it's not that bad. You like to listen to podcasts and music. Hey, there it is there's your answer. You should always be aware of other stuff that could be even more fun and more convenient. But at the end of the day, yeah, that's kind of just being realistic with it, but trying to accommodate yourself as much as possible. You want to put all of the weapons on your side, not on the other side. And there's this ethos, which maybe you'll be able to speak to because I know you've battled it before. I've battled it a ton. 
was this ethos that exercise must be as hard as possible. It must be a punishment. You must hate it. And then you get more out of it. That's just bullshit. Yeah, dude. I, 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 I've been, I've, I've gone through that and it never, it was never something that it just didn't last forever. And now I cut to a few years in to weight training the way I've been weight training. And it's literally just a part of my day. I don't, I, I feel better afterwards. It's a net benefit to my day. The days that I miss, I don't feel as great. So there's, yeah. you know, it's the, it's the most bizarre thing. I never kill myself in the gym. The most I could say, uh, so I'm sore sometimes the next day or the day after that. And I, uh, my, my daughter Grace really hates this because it always presents itself when I'm turning the steering wheel. Sometimes I get pack cramps if i do <laughs> heavy heavy chest um and that drives her crazy but like it, it's never anything where i need to go take a nap or just lay down sometimes legs i lay down in the gym for a few minutes but yeah and, and then i hobble to my car but by the time i've showered and had my meal and 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 had some, had a bunch of water i'm basically fine you know yeah. Yeah. So you found something that you really like. Um, sure. It's not, you know, hooker sex at the club or whatever is the peak of, you know, uh, you know, sort of hedonistic abilities, but it's, it's, it's good and it's fun. And it's at the least, at least maybe someone listening to this won't find their Zen moment of exercise, but they'll at least find something that they don't hate. Right. And any, any amount of fun slash convenience improvement is always and everywhere a good thing. Yeah. And, and to, to, to that point also, my cardio has become almost exclusively walking my dogs. Yeah. Which and, is great. And I don't have dogs with me here in Mexico where I'm working. So I do. There's I tons have, of stray dogs in Mexico. You can just pick up one of those and walk it around. It's been running from those dogs. Yes. <laughs> it's harder. And I feel like there's more pressure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, all right. So that's number one. Number two dovetails into it. But number two is sustainable it should be sustainable it should be something that you can carry with you so like weight training anywhere you go in the world for movie shoots there's a fucking gym somewhere and if there if you're shooting some lord of the rings five ethan supply edition somewhere in the middle of new zealand and there's no gym the very least you could get it written into your contract to lug out a couple of fucking weights and you could still do it right the thing about sustainability is let's say you find that in uh where close to where you live there is an awesome dance fitness class and it meets twice a week and it's this great instructor and you have tons of chemistry with the instructor and she's awesome and she really pushes you and you love it and you're like it's fun it's convenient i love it and then she's like hey i'm actually going to be enrolling in a dance conservatory in new york city in a few months i got to get going and they're actually unfortunately this gym is sort of going a different direction they're canceling this dance class altogether it's not going to be a replacement instructor like that's not sustainable. So you need to start looking for other ways to exercise, which by definition, that shit is coming to an end. You know what I mean? It's coming to an end. Some people only do group exercise classes. So when they travel, there is no group exercise. So you're not going to walk into a gym in Madrid, Spain and be like, hey, you guys have any group exercise? They're like, okay. And you're like, okay, I don't, God damn it. <laughs> here's, here's money for a day pass at the gym. And all of a sudden it turns out you can't work out by yourself. So it's not to say the group exercise is a bad idea. I'll actually get to it in just a sec. But whatever it is you're trying to do, it should be relatively sustainable. Another one is like 
folks that are getting a little bit older trying to play sports that are super high impact. Like, and I, I hate to bag on this because I actually used to play tennis a long time. I have a passion for the game. I love it. Do tennis rips old people's knees and hips to fucking shreds. I know tons of older people that can't walk normally because a lifetime of tennis. Tennis is fun and it's a great game to play a few times a week. And if you want to train it, you can train it every day. You just have to be real tactical. But multiple hours of tennis per day when you're in your 50s and 60s, unless you're just standing there, which isn't really tennis, a ton of times it's not sustainable. Basketball, I've seen older guys go through this a lot. Guys who play basketball in high school or college, they'll play it in their 20s and 30s. When they get into their 40s and their 50s and their 60s, look, you're not balling in your 50s. I'm sorry. Like, yeah, you could have fun with your friends, but the that level of calorie burning, the level of fun you're having, basketballs, man, it's really injurious and it's really going to beat you up. So you got to maybe play it a little bit still, but find something that you can continue to do. There's this idea in sports science and just exercise science called like, like a lifetime physical activity hobby. And it's something that accommodates every age, every body weight, every physical ability, pretty much weight training is a great example of one of those things, right? Um, there's a bunch of different examples, but it's got to be something you can keep in your life. If it's for whatever reason, not sustainable, gee, you know, imagine this, imagine you're a guy in your mid fifties, You've been playing basketball with your buddies for years. You finally go to the doctor because your knees are beating you up. He says, look, you just don't have any cartilage left anywhere. We, If you're going to want to walk in your late 50s, physically walk at all, we have to do total knee replacement on both knees. And by the way, that means categorically basketball is out of your life. If you have problems of weight control and basketball was the thing that got you down to a low weight, finally, what's going to happen? You're going to blow back up. And after the surgery, you're going to be up to 300 pounds and it's all going to be really shitty because you don't have a thing that can give you calorie burning that's sustainable. So you got to look ahead a little bit and be like, can I keep doing this next week, next month, next year, and 10 years down the line? Yeah. Those are, I mean, that, 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 that is a perfect summation to exactly what my question was. Yeah. Two things I have left and yes, I'll sir. leave you the hell alone. Cause I probably Please. just been on your show for way too long. Totally. No, this, like, this has been incredible. This is like 361 minutes being on my show over all the episodes. I've just had enough. You're gone forever. So um, as low fatigue as possible, given that it's fun, convenient, and sustainable. So because when you're trying to lose fat, fatigue is a killer. Fatigue will devastate your ability to continue with exercise. It'll do weird things to your hunger, to your mood. Um, it'll get you injured more often. So if your question is between jogging or high-intensity interval training, on the one hand, which is really like high fatigue, high impact versus something like the elliptical, which is low fatigue, low impact, the elliptical wins that one. So for any given level of exercise, fatigue wins, which is why one of these quote unquote little biohacks, I hate using that term, I'm just trolling myself at this point. <laughs> um, a really neat thing, neat thing, pun intended, is non-exercise activity thermogenesis is all the ways in which you exercise that are not formal exercise. Walk into your car. If you're on your phone, you walk around and talk to people, walking your dogs, playing with your kids, blah, blah, blah. If you can get your NEAT up, especially by buying a step tracker and saying to yourself, 10,000 steps a day, every day on average, that's what I'm getting. If you can do that, it is a very sustainable it might not be super fun, but it's very convenient. And because you're talking on the phone or walking your dogs or whatever, it's fun enough that you'll keep doing it. And it's super low fatigue. Thus, it creates a high level of adherence. 
it really just plugs up all the holes. Now, does this mean you shouldn't go to the gym and do formal cardio? Well, you don't, and you're wildly successful. So we know it's possible. I don't, I don't ever do normal cardio anymore. I just keep track of my steps. When I'm doing a fat loss phase, I keep a, a roughly average 11,000 steps a day. The rest of the deficit comes from lifting weights and eating a little bit less food. And that's the ticket. Can you do formal cardio? You absolutely 100% can. But if you have a slightly higher general activity level, it means you have to do less formal cardio. And then, because maybe you only have to do three days a week of formal cardio to get that deficit going because your non-exercise activity thermogenesis is up so high, you might be able to do really fun stuff. You might be able to play basketball because you don't have to do it every day. You might be able to get on the treadmill and really go for a jog. You might be able to do high intensity interval training. You might be able to go for a couple of sprints in the pool. That kind of thing all of a sudden becomes sustainable because most of your calories are coming from that very low fatigue, just moving around more throughout the day. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 when I'm doing maintenance, I don't pay attention to any of it. And it is, it just is like taking my dogs out because I, I got to take my dogs out when I am doing fat loss. I am also, there is a baseline to like, how, how long did I walk my dogs? Okay. Yes. I got to get a little bit more um, today. And then it increases too. the, the next week I, I, I increase it a little bit. Um, but that is very specific to, I'm trying to lose fat right now. Um, so my calories have gone down. My, my, my output has to go up a little bit and we're trying to find that balance. You actually just made my last point for me. After we have all these points sorted, what I had here in my notes was you plug and play, adjust calories as needed to continue to get results. So yeah. sometimes you cut your calories a little bit more. Sometimes you do a little bit more physical activity. You're mindful of those boundaries, not to cut them too little, not to do too much physical activity. And actually we have a bonus answer to the question of when should you take maintenance breaks? When should you go away from that hypocaloric fat loss condition and take a break for your body at maintenance to let your body recover so you can take another run of fat loss? Here's the answer. If you have to consistently push your calories so high that you start to get ultra fatigue, sorry, your calorie burning so high that you start to get ultra fatigue, too much exercise, and simultaneously you have to cut your food to where you're starving to death and you have barely no energy, that's your answer. That's your sign. That's when it's time to back off. For some people, after eight weeks, they might need a break and that's okay. Some people can grind for 16 weeks and not feel a thing. Those people are totally cool. When the diet becomes really a huge burden and the physical activity becomes really, really a huge burden, then it's time to back up on both refresh for a few months, really stay at that weight that you've gotten down to, and then take another shot at another run. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, um, that's exactly the way Jared is programming me. And, and strange, I, I, w I will say that every time, uh, you know, I, even midway through a maintenance period, I'm like, come on, dude, I'm ready to cut. Let's do this. I want to fucking cut. I could cut forever. And he's like, okay, calm down. We get to the cut. And man, the first month, it's like, it, it's like, I feel like electrified by it. And then mm -hmm. by the time we get deep into it, I'm like f fucking ready for maintenance. Yeah, which is perfect. It's perfect on all levels. You're super energized when you're getting into it. And just when you're at the end of your rope, you get uh, an extended hand from Jared Feather to say, hey, it's time to do maintenance. Like uh, almost one of the successful tenants of like, how I would, if I was ever asked, like, how do you succeed as much as you can at anything you do, here's my answer. It's real simple. Work diligently, work pretty hard, but not extremely work until you get tired, take a break until you're not tired, repeat. Yeah. 
And finally, I want to say, simply because I brought them up, Goggins, Cameron Haynes, Jocko Willenick, these type of guys who who are are leaving it all on the table all the time. To me, I I, I need to look at that sometimes for inspiration just to get out of bed, just to mm-hmm. just to go get the steps I need that day, or just to do a little extra walk with my dogs. And 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 it, it is useful for me in that way. But I will say I've also seen some instances where guys who are at the beginning of their journey are going to go like, I'm just going to use that as a model. Mm. And then there are injuries and then there's over fatigue and there's non-sustainability. And then and then I feel kind of heartbroken for those guys because because I I know that pain. Yeah, the 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 system at play here is the following when you do anything that can test your limits and real things are on the line, you try to design your walk from point A to point B, whatever your goal is, point A to point B, to be as easy as possible. But you have to plan for easy, prepare for difficult. So you got to have that inner Jocko Willink or inner Goggins that when shit gets hard outside of your ability to plan for it, you're ready to just nut up and tell yourself, shut the fuck up, fucking pussy, do what it takes. And in those rare moments when you really need to get under your own skin, that shit works. And in those predictable moments when you're really close to your goal, but you're super fatigued, look, last week you just got to grit your teeth Jocko style, grind it out and finish up. That's where that stuff comes in super handy. But the way you design it looking forward is you're going to try to avoid as many pitfalls as possible easy, super, super easy analogy here is this. When you are walking home from a late night at work to your apartment in the inner city, and there's a bunch of clubs and bars and frat boys are out there trying to pick fights with people, you design your path such that it avoids most of the places where you could somebody could try to attack you just for shits and giggles, right? You don't intentionally go through dangerous areas. However, you also, Jocko style, train in your spare time and firearms handling or Brazilian jiu-jitsu, whatever else you need to, that if you happen upon a place where, oh, the road is closed, which you were going to take, you have to take the next block, you run into a few people and like, hey, what the fuck's this guy doing? Like, hey, hey, pussy, what are you walking on our street for? Then you can still try to work to avoid conflict, but if conflict results, you drop two motherfuckers and everyone else is like, hey, buddy, sorry, please be on your way. Just don't kill any more people. And then you've prepared for the worst but you're not positioning yourself to expose yourself to the worst. Like the U.S. military is a really good example. They have an arsenal that could crush an alien race in a war. But what is the ideal engagement as far as the generals are concerned? You fly up a plane or you fly the aircraft, you swim the aircraft carrier up to a country that's hurting another country. And that other country just literally waves a white flag and no shots are fired. That's the ideal, but that means you're prepared for war. So yes, do listen to Jocko's podcast, do take those grainy, those little grains away of how to be a tough motherfucker, and then design your journey to fitness in a way that requires as little toughness as possible. So that when you do get to the tough stuff, you will have that reserve, but it'll be plentiful reserve and you won't overwhelm yourself with too much hard stuff. Yeah, that's perfect. I, I think that that that's it. Yeah. Thank you, Mike. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on again. I uh, I can't wait to get back to America and see you for some more of our outlandish videos. 
well, you know, famous last words, because we've got all kinds of tortures planned for you. Can't wait. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. Talk to you soon. Bye. And now for the Q&A. This question today is from John. Hi, John. Started listening to your podcast and loving the stories. I'm not sure if this has been covered yet, but if you can discuss what happens when actions that have been successful in the past stop working, i.e. losing weight and things just stop, same diet, same workout, it seems just a plateau and it hits harder and you bear down, but the less success you have. Do you change strategies? Okay, this is a great, great question. And I think there's a lot of nuance that we have to um, kind of pay attention to within this question. Oh, did you hear that? I heard a little funny thing. It was like a train. Um, so the thing I would watch out for with um, diet and exercise uh, as strategies for weight loss is that your body, your body is kind of, your body would prefer to store fat than, than, uh, than starve. Then basically in order to, to consume stored fat, you have to be, your body's basically starving. And so if we, if we take a diet that says, uh, this is the 2000 calorie a day diet, everybody who does this diet eats 2000 calories a day. And you have a very, very big goal it's going to be hard to achieve that goal without plateauing because your body after a long time, either you're going to get to the point where 2000 calories a day is no longer a deficit or um, your body is going to figure out how to game that and slow you down to the point where you're no longer burning more than 2000 calories a day. And, and again, you wind up not in a deficit. Similarly with exercise, if you do the same thing every day, your body is going to be accustomed to doing that same thing and it's no longer going to be as useful at burning excess calories. Does that make sense? Do you understand what I'm saying there? Uh, I do, actually. Do you, Should I talk about it a little bit more or no? That makes sense. It, it, no, it, that makes sense. Okay, yes. If you, if you go, I'm going to spend 20 minutes a day on a treadmill at uh, six miles an hour. I picked six. I don't think I could do six miles an hour. That seems very fast to me. Um, although that's like a jog, I guess. It's not a sprint, but like that seems awful. I like to just mm -hmm. walk on a treadmill uphill. That's what I do. Um, but like I'm going to spend 20 minutes a day or 30 minutes a day on a treadmill at six miles an hour. However effective that is on day one, on day 30 or day 60, it is not going to be anywhere near as effective. Your body is going to figure out how to, you're just going to, you know, it's kind of like if you just went to bench press 135 pounds and that's all you did, you didn't increase the weight. It's not going to be really after a while. If you do like, I'm going to do, uh, three sets of 10 reps of 135 pounds and you did that every single day or if like your thing was Barry's boot camp I'm going to go to Barry's boot camp every single day however beneficial that is the first week 
it's not going to be as beneficial in the sixth week. It's your body is going to be accustomed to that and it's not going to be putting it in the same kind of um, stress that it was initially. So whatever we're doing is not going to be a straight line. It's not going to be if I just eat 2000 calories and I just do 20 minutes of cardio for two years or one year or six months, I will hit my goal. I don't think I never had success doing that. Now, when I was 550 pounds, if I went into a 2000 calorie a day diet and just exercised, yes, I could lose a ton of weight, but eventually it's not going to be being lost as efficiently. And that even can look like a plateau. If you go from losing 10 pounds a week to losing one pound a week, I, I would be freaking out if I was 550 and then I was 500 pounds and now I'm only losing one pound a week, I would think I was failing or doing something wrong, right? And it would look like a plateau to me it would mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because, and, and these are all kind of hyperbolic examples, but I'm just saying this is why I'm such an advocate for maintenance periods and also an advocate for the principles of progressive overload with exercise you don't want your body to be super accustomed to what you're doing because your body is then becoming more and more efficient at doing it. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. So, so you are saying you have to change it up or increase or decrease, or you have to do something. You really, your body, are you saying that your body adjusts to what you're doing and it no longer becomes, uh, something that's making it change it's just what it's used to is on, that like a layman's way to put it yeah basically on day one whatever you're doing if it's super effective and then you just continue to do that exact same thing it's not going to be as effective but this is also true for like when i diet now um after you know 12 weeks of dieting I'm no, uh, there are uh, numerous reasons for why I'm losing weight or fat. I'm losing fat at a slower rate than I was at day one, but that's why I take a break from dieting. Does do you understand? So could it help? Yeah. So could it help this person? Well, I, you know, I don't, I don't know what he was doing, but from the way his question was worded, it sounds like he was doing the same thing and now it's not effective. And so I'm just trying to illustrate reasons why it may not be effective. And so solutions to that are yes, change it up now. Now, when I say that, I'm not saying like you were carnivore now go vegan, right? That, that to me would be a change of strategy. But like, if you really like your program, there is nothing wrong with taking a diet break. And so then you, you allow your, the fatigue, the diet stress to, uh, to, t- to go away from your body. Your body recovers, and then it's ready to kind of lose weight again. As far as exercise yeah. goes, I'm not saying that you just sit on your couch every day and take a break from exercise. Just do something else, you know? Mm-hmm. Change up mm-hmm. your exercise. Increase it a little bit. Um, you know, really, I recommend looking into the principles of progressive overload. Now, though, that is specifically for like building muscle tissue, 
but it also kind of it also kind of works if you can apply that to any form of exercise where it's like you want to get better at something you don't just do the exact same thing every day you've got to you've got to increase and then you've also got to give your body time to to recover right right those are those are my suggestions for somebody who loves their plan and their plan doesn't seem to be working. You know, um, Dr. Uh, Nadolsky talks <clears throat> very, very often also about like, if you are truly in a caloric deficit and that could be on any kind of eating regime, regimen, uh, regime, either word is appropriate, I suspect. But, but if you're a vegan, if you're a keto, if you're, you know, doing a caloric deficit, you're, you're, if you're losing fat, you're, you're in a deficit. And so he says, if a person is convinced that they're in a deficit and they're not losing weight, um, that maybe there are some hidden calories that they're not, you know, not that they're overtly lying, but like stuff is sneaking its way in. You're, you're not measuring your olive oil on your salad. You're eyeballing your tablespoon. You're getting a little loose with your measurements of condiments. These kind of things can lead to us not being in a caloric deficit. For me, when I'm on a fat loss period, I am measuring to the gram everything. If I'm going to have ketchup, I'm actually literally measuring it, right? And even then I'm eating fucking a low calorie, no sugar ketchup. When I'm on maintenance, I do get a little bit looser, but I'm not trying to lose weight on maintenance. I'm not trying, I'm not adding cheese to stuff and, and, you know, eating pizza and, and, and French fries. I'm not doing that, but I'm also, you know, not measuring my, my, my sugar-free ketchup. And so, but, but the point at that point is not to lose weight. So I am a little bit freer. But if you're, if you're grinding away on a diet and you're not really, really sure you're in a deficit, then, then I, you know, I would be flabbergasted to say like, yeah, you're not losing weight. Well, figure that out. Maybe you're not in a deficit truly, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. that's number one. But if you've been doing the exact same thing for a long period of time and there has been no change for a while... <clears throat> excuse me, my suggestion is take a break, change up your physical activity. Love it. That's my suggestion. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. If you have a question for the podcast, please send it to americanglutton.net. I feel like you could be more enthusiastic when you say that. No? Oh, okay. I was just trying to change it up. This is new for me to say this. So <laughs> let me give it another shot. Okay. If you have a question that you want answered on the podcast, please send it to AmericanGlutton.net. Fucking great <laughs> job, Paige. Fucking beautiful. Uh, thanks. Should I'm we worried. do another I, one? I feel like it was a bit much on like a little like fakey like performance. Well, you'll get another shot. Thanks for listening to this episode of American Glutton. I'm Ethan Suplee, and as always, joined by my chaperone, Paige Dorian. Follow us on Instagram at American Glutton Podcast. Sincerely. <laughs>